We're going to take a deeper look into Genesis chapter 3. We're going to talk about the consequences. All right, so, so what we're going to kind of look at, you know, one of the most often asked questions about our world and all the reality we're having to deal with is, is why is there evil and suffering in the world? You know, why, why is there evil, suffering, death, all of that kind of stuff? Why is that happening in our world? Well, Genesis 3 tells us why. It, it tells us where it all began. And then, of course, if you want to go deeper study into that, Romans 1 conveys a, a little bit more detail into all of that. Uh, so uh, we're, we're going to look at that reality. You know, the Bible is an incredible book. I mean, it is an absolutely incredible book. Uh, you would do well to read it, and you'd do even better to study it out and to let it begin to, to, to speak to you about these things because it gives an explanation of why our world is the way it is. In case you hadn't noticed, we ain't living in paradise no more. That things have changed, for real. So uh, it, it gives a comprehensive explanation about human sufferings, human problems, relationship issues, our relationship with God. And it tells us the problem, but more importantly, it points us to the solution. So I, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend you read it. You know what I mean? All right, so let's, let's do this. Let's start in verse number 6 of chapter 3. Let me pull that up here. Let's go to chapter 3. We've read some of this already, but I want to read pieces of it. It'll be kind of our review to, to backtrack a little bit into what we covered last week. Uh, let's start in verse number 6, and uh, let's, let's read all the way through to 24. I want you to hear it all. Uh, you know, the Bible really was written to be read. It was written to be read out loud and to be listened to and to be commented on and to be talked about. So uh, just listen real close and follow along as, as you read the screen there. So when the woman saw, now the tempter's already come in and, and tempted her to, to, to disobey God. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Now you, just, just a little bit of review right there. The, the idea of seeing something that you want. Uh, something that's pleasant to the eyes, the desire, and then taking it, taking it. That, that, that pattern is going to show up time and time again in story after story after story. You'll see somebody will see something, their eyes will be triggered, they'll be tempted, and then they will take it. That, that is repeated numerous times throughout the story, just, just so you know. It's kind of a pattern. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were open, Adam and Eve, the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Was he telling the truth? Was he a little stupid? <laughs> yeah, you can tell the truth, but it can still bite you. Verse 13, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I eat. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, 
and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That's a very, very important verse. We're going to unpack some of it later. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve. Now, all this time it's just been Adam and man and woman. Now it's Adam and Eve. He called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden. They sent Adam and Eve out of the garden. Out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden. And a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. All right. Quite a story, huh? Quite a story. Let's... Let's see. Let's see what we got. All right, so now, Adam and Eve, just, just see what's all happening here with all this tree of the knowledge of good and evil and this tree of life, all that stuff comes to play. Adam and Eve were created to be living souls. It said that about Adam. God breathed into him and Adam became a living soul, right? Now, the, the idea of living soul could, could be understood as he's fully alive. He, he's fully alive to God. He's fully alive uh, to creation, he's fully alive. He's going to be fully alive to his wife when she comes on the scene. And their, their whole existence is connected with God. It's intertwined with God. Everything that they do, I mean, you think about it. Everything that Adam knew, and I, I believe Adam had super intelligence. I, 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 how did Adam learn how to farm? How did Adam learn how to take care of all the trees and all the animals and all the things that he needed to do? Well, God taught him. He learned directly from God how to live and rule in this garden. He learned that. And they walked with God. Did you see that in verse 8? They walked with God in the cool of the day. So God's voice and God's presence was just in the air with them. I mean, it was just a reality. They, they knew God unlike any other person that's ever lived. They knew God without, without time and space limitations. They knew God. And communication between them and God was just wide open. The, the idea of God walking with them in the cool of the day, in the actual Hebrew, it's kind of like God's voice was in the wind. It's like, I mean, it was just common to them. They could just be with God and walk with God. Hmm. So now, they were created to be living souls. But what happens in this chapter, what we just read, Adam and Eve became exalted souls. Okay. So they were, they were made to be intertwined with God, but what... What happens in this story is they exalt their will and their desire above God. And what they do is they repeat the sin of Lucifer. They repeat the same. In fact, the serpent gets them to do the same thing he did. 
And we're going to do. Now, does all that still happen today? All this exalting yourself against the knowledge of God and all that. Do people ever do that today? Hmm. Now, let, let, let me look at Isaiah fourteen twelve. Let's let's go over there. Let's go to Isaiah. This little Bible deal right here. What did I say? Fourteen twelve. Is that what it is? Fourteen twelve. Listen to this. This is this is the sin of Lucifer. This is what gets repeated again in the garden. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Which Lucifer means son of the morning or morning star. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart. Now this is what he said. This is the sin. What he, he exalted himself. He says, I will ascend into heaven. Five I wills right here. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Huh. Did we hear somebody say something to somebody that sounded a little bit like that? Eat this and you will be what? You'll be like the Most High. You'll be like God. Hmm. He's getting them to repeat the same sin he did. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the grave, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Hmm. So there's going, to be, there's going to come a time in history when we see him and we're going to be like, You're the one? Good Lord, we fell to you? Really? He's not going to be near as impressive with Jesus' foot on his neck. You know what I mean? So that, that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about, exalted. Do you see the exaltation where he exalted himself against God or tried to do it above God? And then what did Jesus say about him? You remember that? Jesus said, I saw Satan and I saw him what? You remember, anybody remember what Jesus said? I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. God heard that mess come out of his mouth and God said, that's it. Boom. It's over. Wasn't even a fight about it. All right. You get the point. So that's what's happening in the garden. And it still happens today, all the time. All of us have participated in that, to be honest with you. Now, in contrast to all this, I will, I will, I will, I will. In contrast to all of that, what did Jesus pray in Gethsemane? What did Jesus pray? Not my will, but yours be done. Do you see what he's doing there? He's submitting his will. In fact, Jesus says things like this. He says, you, you can't even come to me unless you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. He said, you can't even come into this kingdom unless you do that. Because, see, the other kingdom is made up of all that I will, I will. Well, you've got to lay your will here to get in this kingdom. You've got to lay your will at the door, at the feet of the master. And, and not only Jesus prays this prayer, but I believe he teaches us to do the same. Not my will, but yours be done. In fact, he teaches us to pray like that, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, not my name, but your name, your kingdom come, your what? There it is right there. All right, so now. All right, so now. Now let's get into some of this fallout, what the fallout and the consequences and all that kind of thing. We read over it last week, but we didn't really get into it. Psychological confusion enters in. You know, Scripture says that Satan is the author of what? What's he good at doing? What's he good at starting? Confusion. You see all the confusion going on in our world today, all the confusion about sexuality and marriage and all the confusion about gender and all that. You know who's the author of all that confusion? Satan. 
and all the confusion when you get uh, time to make a change, a change or trying to make a transition or trying to make a decision and your mind's so clouded and crazy. Uh, yeah, he's involved in confusion. That's what he does. He just starts trouble. He don't even care what angle it comes from. He just wants to confuse everybody and put them at odds. So what happens here in, in Genesis 3, 7, it says the, the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. So that's the direct opposite of what we ended chapter 2 with. We entered chapter 2 before the fall, before they disobeyed. It says that they were naked and not ashamed. Remember that? So sin comes in and, and, it, and it changes things. Their eyes were opened, it said. What, wonder what their eyes, what did they see that they didn't see before? Sin, they saw sin for sure. What else did they see? They saw, it was the knowledge of good and evil, and all of a sudden he looked at her and she looked at him and said, something ain't right about you. <laughs> he looks at her and says, girl, you changed. <laughs> you done changed up on me. What happened? That usually happens about six months after you're married, but that's all right. Never mind. I ain't going to bring that up. <laughs> You used to did your hair and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Never mind. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about both of them. Man and woman. Yeah, he used to didn't care about you. You know, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. So, so they, they, they're seeing realities different. Their, their minds operate different. Their psyche's different. They perceive themselves to be changed. And it's true. And it's not for the better. There's a change that's happened. What happens is, psychologically speaking, guilt enters into the human psyche. Right here. Why, why do they have guilt to enter in? Because well, they, they're guilty, right? They feel vulnerable and unprotected. They, they, all of a sudden, things are not right. Uh, they, they, they get bashful with one another. Let's say it like that. They, they begin to withdraw from one another. They feel unprotected. They close off. They hide. Uh, they see that they're unholy. Uh, there's confusion that's now entered into themselves, in, in, about themselves into their minds. Confusion again, that idea. All right? So... Yeah, it happened immediately. It happened immediately. This is verse 7. Verse, verse 7, God didn't come for two more verses. So it, something happened innately in them. I mean, it just something changed inside of them. Soon as that, soon as they ate of that, you know, God said, when you eat this, you will surely die. You, you're going to be doomed to die. They had no idea what that meant. I don't, I don't think they had any idea what, what that meant. They didn't have any idea about all this fallout. God knew, but when, as soon as they ate of it, everything changed. Now, was it the fruit that had something intrinsic in it that caused them to, you know, like you go eat a bad mushroom or something and you, you, your head goes crazy? I, I, I think it was the pr- principle of disobedience. disobedience yeah. They disobeyed. Okay. So now, because we know how it works. Okay, you got them kids. Especially when they're smaller. They do something wrong. You go looking for them. I mean, when, when, as long as you hear them and got noise and all that kind of stuff going, you're good. But when, you, when it gets quiet, uh-oh, something doesn't happen. And they go hide. Right? That's kind of what's happening. We see this. It's this what I'm talking about. What we're going to see right here 
he's, he, Genesis 3 is unpacking for us what, what our reality is. This is how things really are in the world that we live in today. Right? And this is how it is with people. So, so all of this stuff happened immediately as soon as they disobeyed God. It happened immediately. All right? So now what, what did they do? They went and got fig leaves together. And they sold fig leaves together and made themselves covering. So we have a new religion born. It's fig, fig leaf religion begins right here. And it's, and it's prevalent throughout the world, even today. And by that I mean self-righteousness. So they got a problem, so what are they going to do? They're, they're going to fix it themselves. That, that's self-righteousness. They're going to fix it themselves. Or we could call it maybe, the world uses the term not self-righteousness, but self-help. And when are we going to understand that we're the patient, not the doctor? We're not. Self-help for the Christian is an oxymoron. It, it, it's God help. We, we need God's help. That's what we need. So self-righteousness enters and they cover themselves. That covering up now is, is part of the deal. They're going to cover themselves up. They're going to hide themselves. Why, why are they hiding? Well, they're ashamed. Shame is now entered in too. So guilt and shame have entered into their, their, their reality. This is something new to them now. They didn't know anything about this. And, and then they hide. They hide from God. I mean, it, it wasn't enough for them to cover themselves. But it says right here, they heard God coming and they hid themselves. Okay, what some kids do when, when they know you're coming and they, and they done done something? I mean, they in the closet. They hide under the bed. They trying to get out the window. They hide. Sin just has a way to make us hide. And, and who is, who's the one they're hiding from now? Okay, so now they get, get the, the, the fallout here. They, they go from walking with God to now they are hiding from God. And you know what? Sin just makes you hide, don't it? Sin will make you hide from God. It'll make you hide from His people too. You know when people come up missing in church and do this and that and the other and won't change and all that kind of stuff, I can almost tell you pinpoint something is going on. Something's going on. Either overtly or internally, something's going on. You know what I'm talking about? Because sin just does it. The old, old, old saying is, uh, God will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from God. You heard that before? All right. And then also another saying about sin is sin will... Sin will take you where you don't want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you want to pay. Always, always. And, and I, I didn't need a Bible to tell me that. I, I, I got some scars and bruises and bumps and all that mess on me. Mm-hmm. So God asked him the famous question. What's the famous question? Where are you? Adam, where are you? In the Hebrew, it's not really translated into the, to the English. It's like, there's a little phrase in there, a little, little idea. Where are you? Oh, no. What has happened? That, that's the idea, that, the tone that God kind of gives. Because, in, in, I mean, God's, God's going to be heartbroken about all this. Several times it talks about the sin of people, and even in the days of Noah. Uh, it's an interesting thing. We, we get the idea of God's wrath, but God's heartbroken about sin. He's heartbroken about sin. He knows what it's really going to cost to remedy the thing. Now, now get this. Where are you? Now, here, here's the interesting thing about God. You need to know this about God. Instead of writing them off or destroying them or just wiping them off the face of the planet, God comes to them. 
God comes to Adam and Eve. In their disobedience, in their sin, in their problem, God comes right to where they are. And I don't know if you've ever had God come to you when you busted. It's a very uncomfortable thing. But it's a very merciful thing. He could write us off. And aren't you glad that we serve the God who doesn't just kick us to the curb and doesn't just put us out with the trash. But when we're in trouble and we're in sin, He comes to where we are. And it's a very convicting thing and it's a very humbling thing. But it's also a very gracious and merciful thing that God Himself would even stoop down that low to that gutter that I crawled into myself. He comes to us. That's, that's kind of the story of Jesus, isn't it? That God so loved the world that he, he came. God gave him to us. He came. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. All right? Where are you? Did God know where he was? Could God see the bushes rustling a little bit? Probably. Could God see some fig leaves pulled off that fig tree? They done skint that fig tree to pieces. I mean, they, <laughs> they done left a trail. You know, that, I mean, you can't hide in this garden. Come on now. I mean, why would God ask him, where are you? Why did he ask? Somebody answer that for me. Help me out. Why did God say, where are you? Ah. Okay. Mama, you come in the house and stuff's going on. You, you call them kids out and what do you say? What did you do? And you looking dead at the cookie jar, it's turned upside down and empty and everything's happening. You already know what happened. You already know who did it. But what are you trying to give them a chance to do? Come clean. Because it's just going to be easier if you come clean, right? It's just going to be better for us. We're we going to be able to move on down the road a little quicker if you come clean. But you keep all that lying and dodging and hiding and blaming and all that. Oh, No. Well, there's going to be a beating. It was at my house anyway. I know they don't beat kids no more, but that's part of the problem. But anyway. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. All right, so where are you? God, God knew, but he was giving them a chance, I believe, to come clean. Now, do they come clean? Well, they come out, but they don't really. I mean, it takes them a little while to come clean, kind of like it does us. So now the, we're just dealing with the reality and the fallout, what's happening here. The blame game starts. We talked about that a little bit last week. Now, relationships are going to begin to break down at this point. Sin brings a breakdown in relationships always. Breakdown in marriages, breakdown in friendships, body Christ relationships, all those kind of things. So this is what happens, the blame game. You heard us say it, we said it last Wednesday, we said it Sunday, we'll say it again today. People need air to breathe, we need water to drink, we need food to eat, we need somebody to blame. That's what sin gave us. We need somebody to blame. And what Adam says right here, he says, the woman... Whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. That is a dumb joker. <laughs> sin will make you, I mean, you put a note, sin will make you stupid too. It'll make you say stuff you ought not say. Now, I, I don't know, but you know what? After they got out of that garden, and they went on the other side, living east of Eden over there, and got the tent set up over there, you know that woman looked at him and said, I've got to tell you something. What you doing throwing me under the bus in front of God and everybody? <laughs> what are you doing? You, what you mean, the woman you gave me? Yeah, you can sit on that for a few weeks, boy. The woman you gave I mean, you know that conversation happened. I mean, because it, it, it happens when you leave the restaurant and you say something wrong. It's all the way home from Meridian, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's just happening. You don't say them kind of things. You know, that's, uh, now, now who's Adam blaming? 
He's blaming the woman, but he's also blaming, he's blaming God too in one sense. Now look, I just woke up, I woke up one day and she was here, man. I mean, this, you gave it to me. Was she messed up when you gave it to me? I mean, you know what, can I return this? Is there a receipt? (laughs) Anyway, I'm sorry. Lord, we having fun with this, ain't we, (laughs) Pooh? Men say this dumbest thing sometimes. We just ain't real bright, are we? We ain't real bright. A lot, a lot. So now the blame game with Eve. What Eve said, the devil made me do it, didn't she? The serpent deceived me. Now with those two, what, what do you see? What are, they, what are they not doing? They're not taking responsibility. Now will sin do that to you? Mm-hmm. So Adam blames the woman and God. Eve blames the serpent. And the serpent, he didn't have a leg stand on, did he? <laughs> that's, a bad, that's a bad preacher joke. That's all, right. all right. So, so now, the consequences. Judgments are spoken from verses 14 through 19. God's going to deal with the serpent. He's going to deal with, with the woman. And he's going to deal with the man. We're, we're going to look at it in, in a little different. I'm going to put the serpent last. Okay, because uh, there's some things I want to point out. So now the idea of the consequences is this. Now that you've done this, this is the kind of world you're going to live in. Okay, so now I, now there are times God punishes people. Now I can't, can't get around that. But most of the time it's more consequences than punishment. Romans 1 kind of gets into that idea that, you know, God, it says several times in Romans 1, God gave them over. That this is the path you're going to choose. This is the consequences you're going to get. It's that, it's that thing that w- it can be good in your favor or it can be bad. It's that sowing and reaping kind of thing. It's how God kind of set up his world to operate both in the natural and in the spiritual. Sowing and reaping. What does that mean? Well, sowing and reaping means if you plant corn, guess what you're going to get? Corn. You're going to get corn. Okay, that's how it works in the natural and in the agriculture world, right? Uh, but what happens if you plant sin? What are you going to get? You're going to get death. The wages of sin is death. And that sowing and reaping thing, it, it's come back to haunt us all a bunch of different times, right? If you don't want it, don't plant it. All right? So now this is the consequences, and, and God's going to be extremely grieved. Let's go to the woman. We're going to look at the woman, then the man, then the serpent. To the woman, verse 16, the first part of verse 16, it says, To the woman, God said this. And I hope you get some revelation out of this. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Hmm. That's the first part of 16. He's going to deal with her in just all in verse 16 right there. So now what, what's this idea of pain? She's going to have pain and it's going to involve children. Okay. So pain. The idea of pain is grief, sorrow, or toil. The, the Hebrew word is the same use for the woman and for the man. And, and the translators in the English Bible translate the words differently. And I, I wish they wouldn't do that kind of thing because the Hebrew repeats words on purpose to keep the theme going uh, and to keep the connection going. So now this woman is going to have pain because of the choice that, that her and Adam have made together to disobey God. She is going to have grief and it's going to involve children. Now it's been interpreted that she's going to have pain in childbirth. Which that's probably part of it. But I believe it goes a little bit deeper than that. Uh, and you know, all the way up until like the last hundred years, do you know what the number one killer for women was? Childbirth. 
I mean, modern modern medical modern medicine has really helped us on that idea. I mean, thank God for it. But I think it goes a little bit deeper. You see the the translation here, the New King James. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. Conception is not the birth; it's the idea of having children. Right? Uh, put this on. Just think this out. I will greatly or. Now your sorrow, your grief is going to be multiplied in the conceiving of children. Now let me explain this. We'll read that sentence right off the bottom. You are going to be grieved and worried about your children coming into and living in this messed up world. Now you tell me if that ain't a mama's heart right there. I mean, in fact, today, women are making the decision and saying, I don't know if I even want to bring a child into this world. Now, men don't think quite like this. We've we got other issues and other problems and other things we, we consume our, our minds with. Now, we, we worry about our children. Now, don't get me wrong. We're concerned about them. But not like mama does. Mamas really, really lose sleep, hair, and sanity over all this stuff. And you watch wildlife, and that's very apparent. Mm-hmm. With wildlife, too, same. Mm-hmm. So now her sorrow, because of the sin that's coming into the world, she's going to worry about what's going to happen to her children in this world. Now, is Eve going to have something to worry about? What's going to happen in Genesis chapter 4? What's going to happen to her two boys? See, you think about Abel dying, but who else did she lose? She lost Cain and Abel. She lost both of them. One fell swoop. Boom. Fight. Family fight. Boom. It's over. Life's changed forever. That, that, that's, this is what that kind of thing's talking about. This is going to be a grief and a thorn in a woman's side all of her days. What's, I'm a, what's going to happen to my children? All you mamas, can y'all, can y'all get with that? that? That description of daddies. I mean, we, we worry about them. We're concerned about them. But we're like, oh, you'll be all right. It'll be, it'll be good for him. Put some dirt on it. You know, walk it off. Well, he'll learn not to do that. And, 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 and you know, you'll say that on the couch and she'll reach over here and say, stop that. They're wired, just wired up different, aren't they? They just wired up. And thank God for it. We need that difference cause, because we just be hard-headed and cold-hearted without them. You know, so we need that difference. We need that kind of, but, but this is going to be the woman's reality. This kind of pain right here, all right? Now, here's another problem that's going to enter in, all right? Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, this is a very difficult thing to translate and understand and interpret, okay? Uh, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, here, here, I'm going to give you my best idea on this. And other, other folks got other ideas, but I'm going to give you my best idea. Because the tone of all this is negative, the tone of all this judgment is negative, all right? Uh, I believe he's saying there's going to be conflict in the home. There's going to be a lot of conflict that comes into your life, okay? Now, look, look at this idea. I got it all laid out right there. This is, this is my best understanding of this passage. And we, we, there's plenty of room to talk and to struggle through what this means. But here's the idea that the way, the way I've studied it out. That there will be a power struggle between husband and wife, <clears throat> There's going to be a power struggle between men and women, male and female. Is that, is, that, is that happening today? Is that a reality today? Oh, yeah. 
This will happen because you now live in a world where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Selfishness will be the main motivation. And if I want my way and you want your way and our ways are not the same way, which way are we going to go? We deal with this on how to spend money. We deal with this on how to raise children. We deal with this on how to plan our schedules. We deal with this on just how you treat me, how you don't treat me, what you need to do for me, what you need to do for him, her. You know what I'm talking about? This is just a reality. There's going to be a power struggle. And women will want to be domineering over their husbands. And husbands will assert dominance over their wives and forget that their wives are to be co-rulers with them in this project of life. That's all, I believe he's saying all that in that one little phrase. Now you tell me, is that true? Women want to be dominant and have their way. Men want to be dominant and assert domination over women. And conflict is the result. Marital conflict. And we know now that Divorce is a real reality in our world because of all this. Many of us in here have been through that, and it ain't no fun. Everybody's marriage has probably been through this power struggle thing, right? You see the point? Any, any comments about what he had to say to the woman? Any questions or comments? So there's going to be a pain in the mama's heart, a grief, worried about her children. What's going to happen here? And there's going to be this idea of this, your, your desire is going to be for your husband and his tendency is going to be to put his thumb on you. And that ain't going to be good. Everybody, everybody good? Hmm. <laughs> Y'all quiet. <laughs> we need to move on, boys. Let's just move on. Before some of that domineering stuff comes out. <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. All right, now to the man. Let's get to the man. What, what, he's, he's got some serious consequences here too. Verse 17, the first part, it says, Then to Adam God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. Right? Now, so this has been really misinterpreted by a lot that, you know, that men ought not have to listen to their wives and all that kind of stuff. Don't, don't be like that. That ain't good. Your wife is to be a co-ruler with you. And how y'all work that out will be on y'all. But, you know, they got, they, they're just as much the image of God as the man is. You understand that? So when he says, because you heeded the voice of your wife, he's not saying you should never listen to your wife. That's, that's a fool's errand. He's saying, what, what's he saying? You tell me, what, what is he saying? He said, because you listened to her instead of what? Instead of listening to me. You heeded her and didn't heed me. All right? And, and this, God says the ground's going to be cursed. The ground's going to be cursed. Now, what does that mean? What, so the ground in Eden, guess what the ground is in, in, in the garden? It's not cursed. It's, it's blessed. I mean, it's just pushing up stuff all over the place. I mean, it's, you throw a seed down and it pops up. Trees pushing fruit out all the time. Fruit for every season. There's the security and everything they got. Food security, they don't have to worry about anything. Okay? But in this instance, sin has caused the ground to be cursed. Now, just to note this, God curses the serpent and he curses the ground. He does not curse the humans. 
That is good news. Okay, now humans will work themselves into it later because of their behavior. But at this point, God does not curse the humans. He curses the serpent and the ground. All right, so now let's go. Here, here, here's what's going to come out of the, the cursed ground. This relationship the man has with the ground. You, you guys are going to be able to relate to this. In toil, see that's the same word as the word pain was translated a second ago. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So in grief or pain or sorrow, you, 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 you're going to work this ground and it's going to work you. Right? So now for the man, see the woman struggles with the children. The man struggles with the providing. The struggle for the man is producing food, providing for himself, providing for his family and all their needs. And now this task of providing, no matter what it is for us guys, it's going to be grievous. It might be stressed out at the office. It might be, you know, turning the wrench until you can't hardly lift your head up. You know, it, it might be working on construction until you absolutely wore slam out every day. You know about those kind of things? It might be taking care of your property and you just absolutely can't hardly keep up with it, you know. So the, the, the man's grief is going to be in work. Life and work are now going to be difficult. Any of you guys know about that? Jesus is going to try to come and help us and give us rest and help us enjoy our work. But you know what gets the best of us. It's difficult. And the reality for the man is going to be this. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So there's a new reality. This ain't Kansas anymore, Toto. We are in a new place. This is a new reality. Thorns and thistles. Now what's a thorn do? What, what, what is a thorn? Anyway, what, what is a thorn, just scientifically speaking? What is a thorn? What, what, what's a plant? It's a sticker, and the plants put it out to protect themselves, right? And you're going to go reach, and you're going to go work, and when you grab a hold of stuff, it's going to bite you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to fight back against you. Did anybody have that kind of experience? <laughs> <laughs> so thorns and thistles and this idea of sweat on your brow uh, I think I remember a Jesus story about sweat don't you it's hearkening back to this idea and it's going to wear you down to the grave work's going to get the best of you you see the point see what he's talking about now let me ask you this the, the things I've said about the woman, the things I've said about the man, do those kind of show our reality? I mean, do they, is that the, really the way things are? That's kind of the, the, real, the, the real way the, the things really, really are. You, you need to read your Bible now. Your Bible has something to say about your life and what's happening more than any other book that's ever been written. It's, of course it would. It's the Word of God. All right? Now, let's, let's close it with this. The to the serpent. Verse 14 and 15. It's real important we get to verse 15. To the serpent. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Okay, so now, 
He's going to be cursed. Our enemy's future, he, he's going to be cursed for sure. It's the opposite of being blessed. And he is going to have a life full of humiliation, defeat, and death. That word, to eat dust. You know, what? We, we, it's, it's kind of like a Hebrew idiom right there. If, if somebody's going to eat dust, that, 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 I, I don't know, how would we say it today? Well, I guess we'd say other things. <laughs> But it's, it's a term of humiliation that you absolutely put somebody's face in the dirt. You see what I'm talking about? That's what he said he's going to do to the enemy. Now, all this humiliation and defeat of our adversary, that's, that's what the book of Revelation is all about. And it's unfortunate because it becomes about all this other stuff, about the tribulation, about the rapture, and about all this other stuff, the mark of the beast, and all that. It becomes about all that other kind of stuff. It's not even about all that. It's about the humiliation and defeat that Jesus is going to bring to our adversary. To the world, the flesh, and the devil. You see what I'm talking about? And it's about this. All right, so now verse 15. So verse 15 is the first mention of the gospel. In the, in the middle of all of this judgment, God brings some good news. He brings some hope. Which You, start, you learn something when you read the Bible about God. Whenever there is a pronouncement of judgment, he almost always follows it up. With hope of some kind. All right. This is what God does in verse three, uh, Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now you're just reading that and you don't think through it. You just kind of keep, keep moving along. But it's the first mention of the good news that somebody's coming that's going to help us with this snake. Everybody in here has got snake trouble. And we got snake bites. So what, what's he saying right here? Right? So unpack this a little bit. There's going to be a war. And there's going to be a war between the seed of the serpent, the offspring of the serpent, and, the, and there's going to be a war between them and the seed or the offspring of the woman. Okay? So now he is saying in this war there are going to be two kinds of people on the earth. You ever notice there's always two kinds? It's either light or darkness. It's either right or wrong. It's either righteous or unrighteous. You either in or you out. It's either heaven or hell. You know that kind of thing. It's always two, God. So you're you're going to be one or the other. You're going to be the seed of the serpent. Just a guess. You think that's good? No, no, that's not good, is it? Or you're going to be the seed of the woman. And out of this battle that's going to be fought, there is going to be one man who will emerge in this fight. And in this fight, he is going to take it to you and you will bite his heel. He's, he's going to get snake bit too. Now, if, if, if a snake is going to bite somebody on the heel, what, what have they just done? They stepped on him. <laughs> they stepped on him. You will bite his heel and you will... Basically, because we know the rest of the story... You're going to kill him. You're going to bite him. He's going to die. But in the process of you killing him, he is going to crush your head. So now, this is a play on the rest of the Bible. 315. What the Bible tells us right here is that there's going to be this struggle that's going to ensue. And there's going to be a group of people that look like the snake. They act like the snake. They follow the ways of the snake. They do the things the snake does. And there's going to be a group of people who are the seed of the woman. 
And that's the righteous seed of God. And they try to follow God. They don't do it perfectly. They don't do it right every time. But they try to follow God. There's going to be this war. You, you, if you know anything about the Bible, you, you, you kind of piece that together, begin to see that. So you got Egypt and Israel. You got Jacob and Esau. You, you, you got, man, I mean, we could go on and on. You got David and Goliath. You got, there's always this fight between the snake people and the woman's seed. There's always this fight. And then there's going to be one that emerges. So now what we're going to be looking for from here on, we're going to be looking into this story to see who is going to be the snake crusher. Who's going to be the snake crusher? Is it going to be Noah? He's a pretty good character now. But then after the boat lands and they have a few problems, he gets drunk and things are messed up. He's not it. What about Moses? Moses, there's not a better man that's on the planet than Moses. Moses can, can Moses be the snake crusher? He does a lot to just drive the enemies crazy. He drives Egypt crazy. He, he, that snake in Egypt, he took care of that snake in Egypt. He had a stick bigger than Pharaoh's. Is Moses it? Ah, Moses, you can't go in. You know what? We got a few problems here. You can't go in. Is it David? David, he's a pretty good candidate now. Guess what David did? I mean, guess David, David's a teenager. He shows up with the head of a snake in his hand. <laughs> Goliath. He looks like a snake crusher. He's crushing the enemies. He's, he looks like the dude and then... He has a bad day on the roof looking at a woman and it just falls apart for him. Who's the snake crusher? Who is, we're going to be looking for him. And then Jesus shows up. Hmm. You see the point? So Adam hears all this. All this prophecy and all this judgment and all this stuff. He hears all this and he turns to his wife and he, he says, you got a name now. I'm, I'm gonna name you. Now, did we see Adam naming anything else earlier. He named the animals because that's kind of what us guys do. We call things names. <laughs> we give them nicknames. We give them all kind of stuff, don't we, guys? We just name stuff. And he looks at Eve in the middle of all this judgment, knowing that he's not to leave the garden. And he says, "You know what? You are the life giver. You're the living one. God is going to use you to save us." All right. So now they're going to be exiled out of Eden. And the rest of the story takes place east of Eden, is the way the scripture portrays it. We're not in Eden anymore. We could spend another hour talking about God covering them. God evidently kills two animals. Maybe the first two animals that, that died. He kills them. Maybe a couple lambs. I don't know. Maybe a goat or two. And he stitches together some clothes and covers them. Now, I want you to see the gentleness of God. Now, God could have kicked them to the curb. Now, he had every right and reason to. And they brought it on themselves. And they wouldn't have a leg to stand. They wouldn't have no fight to put up. But God, in his mercy, covers them. Sends them out. But he can't let them eat of the tree of life. Why well, he says if they eat of the tree of life, they're, they're doomed forever. So I, I can't let them partake in this anymore. So he puts up a cherubim. What's a cherubim? It's like this angelic being, winged angelic being, and he's got a flaming sword. And he's a bad dude. And you don't fool with him. And he's standing at the gate of Eden. 
and they can't get back in. Now, what in the world is that all about? <clears throat> well, there's another Jesus story that involves these cherubim. The veil of the temple. Do you know what was on the veil of the temple? It was two cherubim. And they were symbolic of this idea of Eden. That God put these cherubim. And God's presence was on the other side of this veil, on this curtain, into the most holy place. And these two cherubim reminded everybody, you can't get to Eden anymore. Paradise is locked out for you. Well, when Jesus dies on the cross and says, it is finished. The moment he dies, that veil is tore in two. And I, I, I want to say it like this. You know where I think it ripped? I think it ripped right in the middle of them cherubim. And one fell this way, one fell that way, and the gate flew open. And because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done through his death, paradise has been opened back up again. That's what that all means. Now. So you've got to get a little Bible on you to, to kind of put all this together. But I'm telling you, this story is hyperlinked and it, it dovetails into story after story all the way you get to Jesus. And the Jesus story makes sense when you understand the Genesis story. You see what I'm talking about? You tracking with me? I, I hope you are. It, it's, it's a lot of work to study through this now. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work on your mind. It's a lot of work on your pastor. But we get, we're going to get there. <laughs> we're going to get there. All right? Come on, let's pray. Let, let, let's talk to the snake crusher. Can we do that? Let's talk to him. Lord, we thank you. We just know you, we acknowledge you as the snake crusher. You are the one that set us free from the curse. You're the one that has defeated the serpent on our behalf. You are the victor. We just thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for doing that on our behalf. And Lord, I pray you just help us. Help us to live in this relationship that you've provided for us. Thank you, Lord, for, for forgiving us of our sins, for making us new people. And Lord, help us, help us to follow you with everything we are and everything that we do. We just bless you. I bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.